high. Repeat after me. Say, this is God's word. Come on, I need you to let your neighbor hear you say, this is God's word. Not Pastor Evans' word. I am who it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. I can be who it says I can be. And I will have what it says I can have. Today, I will hear the word of God. I boldly declare that my mind is alert. My heart is receptive. My ears are open. And I better not go to sleep. I'll never be the same. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, Lord, we thank you for this wonderful time that we have to fellowship around the greatness of your word. I thank you, Father, that those who are gathered here today, their faith will go to another level after having heard the word of faith that can change our lives. As I have decreased, I thank you for the anointing of the Holy Spirit raising up in this place to feed every person the spiritual manna of your word. And Father, as a result of hearing the word, your word declares that signs, miracles, and wonders are going to follow the word that has been taught today. So we trust in the spirit of God to interpret that which your word is saying through this vessel of clay. And we declare it to be so in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Our current series that we're on is called True Answers in Troubled Times. Say this with me. Say True Answers in Troubled Times. And the purpose of this series, of course, is to help any believer lift their faith, answer tough questions about life, provide overcoming solutions for any past, present, or future difficulty. Our lesson today is a continuation of last week's message, which is entitled, Faith It Until You Make It, Part 2. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, you need to faith it until you make it. Now look at your other neighbor and say, neighbor, stop faking it and start faithing it. Amen. And the goal of today's message again is to help us see that the doorway through and out of every form of trouble, difficulty, or distress is our faith. I want you to turn over to 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5. I have a great lesson for you this morning. 1 John chapter 5. If you can get this today then you won't mind going through trouble. See, here's the thing. Trouble's going to come anyway. But when you have what I call the strategy out of trouble, trouble don't bother you. In 1 John chapter 5, look in verse 4, it says here, For whatsoever or whosoever is born of God overcomes the what? World. We've been teaching that there are two levels or types of victory. The first one is positional victory. That's what happens when we're in Christ Jesus. But then it says, and this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our what class? Our faith. So we have purposeful victory, which must be activated or applied. And that takes place with our faith. Now, we saw last week that it takes two things to help activate the victory. One was fellowship with God consistently, and the second one was faith. And so today I want to focus on the faith one, and I want you to turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8. Now, I need you to have your heart wide open because, see, God will put different anointings on people, and they're good at certain things. That's why, you know, Bishop Jake's boy, I tell you what, he 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 can help you hold on in a storm. 
I mean, he really can. My pastor, he can teach you about prosperity till you got money coming out of your ears. But that pastor, Evan, gonna, I tell you what, I can teach you on faith and to show you how to stand on the word where nothing won't rattle you. In Matthew chapter 8, if you're there, say I'm there. Let's look at this story that most people know about. Starting verse 5, it says, And when Jesus entered into Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion beseeching him and saying, Lord, my servant lies at home sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. And in verse 7, it says, And Jesus said unto him, I will come and heal him. The verse 8 says, the, the centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof. But if you would just speak the word only, my servant shall be healed. He says, for I am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this man, go, and he goes. And to another comes, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard it, he marveled and said unto them that follow. Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. I want you to see here that two things happened. First of all, there was a person here in this story who desired Jesus to do something. And Jesus was willing to do it. And instead of Jesus going the extra mile by going to this person's house, he just said, you know what? If you would just speak the word, my servant will be healed. Now, if you notice, Jesus equated that guy's understanding with great faith. So if we can understand exactly what happened with this centurion soldier, then we can walk in the same great faith. What made this centurion's faith so great? It was two things. I want you to write it down. Number one, it was his ability to trust in delegated authority. And then number two, it was his ability to believe in faith-filled words. I'm going to say that again. What made the centurion's faith so great? The first thing that made him so great was his, his ability to trust in delegated authority. That's why the story he said, Jesus, I'm a man under authority. And when I tell somebody to do something, they do it. What did that have to do with his faith? Because he knew that Jesus was sent by God. And because God sent Jesus, God delegated all power and authority to Jesus. And so he knew, this man knew that whatever Jesus say is going to happen, Jesus is going to happen because Jesus had the delegated authority from God. And because that man knew that, he learned how to trust in delegated authority because he himself functioned in it. So he had to believe in delegated authority, but then on top of that, he had to believe in faith-filled words. Now, now go to 1 Thessalonians. I know that's a different book. Go to 1 Thessalonians, just go toward the... Uh, the book of Revelations is not that far back. If you find Colossians, then you'll find Thessalonians. Go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and then write down verse 13. When we hear the word, it must be heard as God's word and not man's word or the power in the word gets voided out. I'm going to say it again. When we hear the word, like right now, you're hearing the word. You're hearing the word. When you hear the word, if you hear it as if it's coming from a man, then the power that's in the word to make it work gets voided out. Look in 1 Thessalonians, look in chapter 2, look in verse 13. Are you there? Say, I'm there. He says, for this cause also we thank God without ceasing. Because when you received the word of what? When you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, 
You received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth. The word of God, which effectively works also in those or you that believe. Now, notice here, Paul was talking to the, 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 the uh, church of Thessalonica. And he said to them, when we come to teach you the word and preach the word to you, he says, what's good is that you cannot just take the word as if it's coming from us. He said, you got to take it as if it is. And that is the word of God. And that's what most people don't do. They listen to people preach. And this is why it's so important for you to be a part of a church that is teaching the word and not somebody's opinion. That's why you're going to leave home. And that's why when you go to True Group, you're going to have scripture references about what I'm teaching. Because I'm going to teach you from the word. And here he says, you got to listen to the word, not like it's coming from a man. Because if you listen to it that way, then the power in the word is going to get voided. Now, I thought something was interesting. Go to Romans 10. Go to Romans 10. Go to Romans 10. Go to Romans 10. Now, this still ties into the the point that the centurion made. He trusted and delegated authority. In Romans chapter 10, I'm about to make a statement that some of you all will maybe get mad and then some of you all will be glad. But here it is. If God himself can't do without delegating his word to be preached, how can we? I'm going to say it again. If God who's almighty, all supreme, if he himself cannot do without his word being delegated out by a man to preach, then how can we think we can do without a delegated person to preach? In other words, God uses a man to teach his word, and that's the system that he uses. He doesn't use angels. He may send angels to send you a message, but the word of God is going to be preached from a man. Look in Romans chapter 10. Are you there? Look in verse 13. Watch this now. It says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, they shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how can they believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a what? A preacher. And then it goes on to say in verse 15, for those of you who think you're called to preach. It says, And how can they preach except they be sent? It didn't say in how can they preach unless they went. It says unless they be sent. See, a lot of people went, but a lot of people ain't sent. Many are called, but few are chosen. There's a process you got to go through. You just can't stand up one day and say, I'm going to be a pastor. You might be able to do that to be an engineer. You may be able to do that to be a doctor and an architect, but you just can't decide you're going to be a preacher. That's one of those assignments that only God can say he wants you to do that. Amen. That's why Paul opened up all the books, most of them. He says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, called by God. Now, what's my point? If God has delegated the preaching of his word to a man, and he can't do without a man to preach his word, then who do we think we are to think we can do without somebody preaching to us? Now, I have found out something. God, as well as the devil, knows that faith can only come through hearing the word. And that's why the devil has a strategy that he uses on believers. Let me tell you the first strategy. In fact, I'm going to give you all three of them and then I'll explain them. The first strategy that the devil uses because he knows that faith comes by hearing the word. The first thing he does is distracts us. The second thing he does, he uses discredit. And the third thing he does is deceives. So let's just go through these real quick. The devil will distract us from getting in the word. 
You know why it's so difficult for you to find some time to get it? You know, this week I've started asking uh, heaven and my wife every day. Did you hear the word today? Have you listened to the word today? Heaven's like, daddy, when am I going to listen to the word? I said, do it when you're getting dressed. She's like, well, I said, no, just get you the Bible on CD. I got it. Put it in your little CD player. And then play it while you comb your I said, you got to comb your hair, don't you? She said, yeah. You got to brush your teeth, don't you? Yep. Listen to the word. Because, see, faith don't come by listening to the news. Faith don't come by listening to uh, 104.5. It just don't come like that. Amen. So he distracts us from getting in the word because he knows that keeping us out of the word keeps us from getting faith. The second thing he does, and this is big, he discredits the, the person who's delegated to preach it. I'm going to sit on this one for just a second. He discredits the ones who are delegated to preach it. Now, he discredits in three ways. He discredits sometimes through the sin of the person who was preaching. Yeah, I mean, I believe we ought to live what we preach. I believe that. I really believe that. And then you know what? I believe that till the day I die. But I also believe another thing. I believe too that we're human. (laughs) Now, I do believe there's a process for any person that's in authority to, to preach the word. If they fall, there should be a process for them before they get back up. I believe that. But what he does is he uses that person's sin. And just even though you can sin and then ask God to forgive you and you be okay and God be okay with you. Man, when that person sin that's up there in front of them, man, they got to go do a whole lot of jumping jacks and tight roping. And, and unfortunately, some of those people, even though they repented, even though they went through the restoration process, and even though they are still accountable, they will never, ever be able to have credit in people's eyes sometimes. So he uses sin. And I'm not saying that because I'm in it because I ain't. I live a real clean life. Amen. Because I know what it does in people's lives if I don't. Amen. Number two, he uses slander. See, if, if slander is just saying negative things about a person. And it can be true or not. So what he does is, if he can slander the person who's delegated to preach the word, he got you. Because, see, any negative seed that comes from slandering makes it very hard for you to receive. And let me tell you what has happened to some of you all. Okay, either some sin in your old church or some slander messed you up. So you went on a search. Search and search and search. You drove down Cooper Street and you saw that billboard. Man, look at that dude. He looked like about 20 years old. And then look at that wife. Oh, man, he changed wives in the middle of the month. What happened? (laughs) Billboard changed. You know, she didn't change her hair, color, and all that kind of stuff. You know, because people ask me, have I changed wives? Some of y'all, you know, your, your, your work, how many colleagues at work thought I changed wives? Let me see your hand. Anybody? One, two, three. Yeah. Yeah. I've had members say, Pastor, you know, my, my, my coworker thought you changed wives. No, I didn't change wives. It's cheaper to keep her. <laughs> yeah. You don't want to do that. And so you go down Cooper Street and then all of a sudden you go on the web, check it out. Then you go to the podcast and listen to me preach. And then finally he was like, I'm going to go to that church. Then you come in here and you experience the presence of God. The worship is good. The people are friendly. And all of a sudden you're like, I don't believe this is real. So you come back again. And some of y'all been coming back for a year and still haven't joined, but that's okay. 
<laughs> so you come, and then all of a sudden you join. But then when you join, you don't, you don't remember that there are some things you're holding on to. You're holding on to some slander and some sin. So now you're just waiting on me to do something wrong. Hot dog, hot dog, hot dog. You're just waiting. Now, in the middle of your waiting, you don't know that what's really happening is that your waiting is keeping you from receiving from me. I'm preaching better than y'all clapping right now. That's okay. Now, the third thing he does, and I'm going to get into the good part of the message, okay? The third thing is he deceives us. And this is what he does. He deceives us into thinking that the word really doesn't work. So obeying it or disobeying it, it would never profit our lives anyway. So, so what difference does it make? And that's what he does. He gets believers. He deceives us into thinking that not doing the word, it don't, the word don't work. But it does work. So I have six. Well, I, get, I have seven steps for you this morning that you can take to walk in faith on a consistent basis to overcome any difficulty in your life. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Just go Romans and then 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians 4. There are seven things we can do to walk in faith on a consistent basis, regardless of what kind of trouble you're in. And if you will consistently walk in these seven things, they'll get you out. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, look in verse 13. Here's the first one. Write this down. Faith comes by hearing, but it is released by the words of your mouth. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 13, Paul says, we having the same spirit of what? Faith. So the context is faith according as it is written. He says, I have believed and therefore have I what? Spoken. We also believe and therefore we what? This is how it works. Faith comes when you hear the word, but it is only released when you open your mouth up and say something. So this is how you can judge what a person believes by listening to what they say. Now, let's look at number two. Now, the word speak there means to talk, to utter words, and to say. So what he was saying here is, therefore, as I have talked, uttered, and said, therefore I have spoken or believed. All right? Here's number two. Go to John chapter six. John chapter six. Here's a good one right here. This is good right here. John chapter six. Number two. We must understand that before any trouble or trial that enters our life, God has already had a solution to fix it before we get to it. I'm going to say that again. When you are in difficulty and you're walking through faith or walking by faith, you must understand that before any trouble or trial hits your life, God already had a solution for it. Now, in John chapter 6, look in verse 4. Are you there? Say, I'm there. It says, and as the Passover of the feast drew nigh, Jesus lifted up his eyes and he saw a great company come to him. And he said to Philip, he said to David, he said to Timothy, he said to Greg, he said to Pastor Che, he said to the people at Word of True Family Church, he said, listen, what, what do you have? Do you have enough to buy some bread that these may eat? And this he said to test him for he himself knew what he was going to do. Before a difficult situation comes into your life, you got to know as a believer, God already has the solution to the problem before it hits your life. Let me say this. Let me explain something to you. See, the Bible says before the foundation of the world, God sent Jesus Christ to die for our sins. So before sin was even an issue, God had a solution. 
And before you run into any, any trouble in your life, you got to know that even though trouble may come, God already has a solution. Our job then now is to trust him and then believe for him to give us the wisdom on what it is to get out of it. So number two, we must realize that God already knows what's going to happen and he already has a solution for it. Number three, you cannot walk by faith and by your feelings or emotions at the same time. I'm going to say that again. You cannot walk by faith and by your emotions at the same time. In 2 Corinthians 5 verse 7, you can just note that. It says, for we walk by faith. And not by sight. Now, let me ask you something. Is sight part of our five senses? Tell me what our five senses are. Seeing, hearing, smelling, touching, tasting. So what he's saying here is that if you allow your five senses to rule you, that's an indication you're not walking by faith. So listen, your emotions is part of your senses. That's this part, that's this part of your flesh, your carnal part of you. And if you allow your emotions to rule you, you can just know that you're not walking by faith. Now, I'm not saying you can't have feelings. What I am saying is you can't let your feelings dominate your faith. Number, what number am I on? Number four? Number four, we must believe that our faith can quench every fiery dart of the enemy. Go to Ephesians chapter 6 very quickly. Ephesians 6. Ephesians chapter 6. We must believe that the faith that God has put inside of us. And if you are a new believer, let me explain this to you. The Bible says that God has given to every one of us the measure of faith. It didn't say a measure. It said the measure. So when you got saved, he gave everybody that got saved the same amount of faith. Now, it is up to us to grow that faith or not. But either way, the faith that he gave you and put inside of your heart was enough to get you saved. If you have enough faith in your heart to get saved, you got enough faith in your heart to speak to any mountain. Okay? Ephesians chapter 6, look in verse 16. It says here, above, let's just look at, uh, look in verse 14. Well, look at 13. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand in the day of evil. Notice you need the armor of God to be able to stand. And then he says, after, after you've done all to stand, stand, therefore having your loins girded about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Here's the, the one I want to focus on. And above all, what does that mean? Above everything we just read, he says, above all that, you got to have on the shield of what? You got to have the shield of faith up. And why do we need the shield of faith? He says, so we can quench how many? Come on, class. He said to quench how many? All the fiery darts. Listen, when the devil throws his best shot at you, you shouldn't even feel it. Man, if the devil throws a fiery missile at me, I thought a mosquito bit me. Oh, we got mosquitoes out here. See, he's waiting on your reaction. Do you know the devil don't know he got you until you react? You see your banking account going down and then he sees you start worrying. He know he got you. That's why, see, can I just tell you this? The reason why the devil messes with some of y'all's money and he does it consistently, because he knows that's how he gets you. Once you pass the money devil test, he won't mess with you no more for a little while. There's certain things he know he ain't going to get me with. And see, he better not mess with me because if he start messing with my money, I beat him gave all my money away. 
See, that's, that's, see he don't want me to do that. You know, oh, man, I ain't going to do that because he's going to have another testimony of how God brought him out. And I did God's going to bless him for doing it. I'm going to leave Pastor Evan alone when it comes to that money. I might test him on throwing coffee on people, but I ain't going to test him on that money now. <laughs> if you're visiting, don't worry about it. Number, number, what number am I on? Number five. You must have an unwavering belief that God is going to do his part when you have faith. You got to have an unwavering. Go to Romans. Just go backwards. Go to Romans. That's right before 1 Corinthians. Go to Romans chapter 4. You must have an unwavering belief that God is going to do his part when you stand in faith. In Romans chapter 4 verse uh, 20, it says, Abraham, is talking about Abraham. Uh, look at verse 19. And being not weak in his faith, he considered not his own body now dead. Nor did he consider how long or how old he was or the deadness of Sarah's womb. Verse 20. He staggered a lot. No, that's not what it says. What did it say? He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but he was strong in faith, giving glory to God. When you're standing in faith, you got to be like Abraham. You can't look at what's going on around you. You can't look at what people are telling you. You can't listen to the doctor report and believe it. You got to stand in faith. And listen, it says you got to stand and you can't even stagger. When they call you back with that negative doctor report, you can't let it stagger you. You just keep walking. When I was sitting in that doctor's office and they looked at us and they said, sir, you don't have enough sperm. So guess what? Y'all need to think about a doctor. And I looked at him and I said, I'll see you on the other side. I'm thinking about taking Landon to his office next week. And then tell him, I think I can do it again. What do you think? I don't know if my wife and I are in agreement on that one, but I think I can do it. See, you got to allow your previous testimonies to be your fuel to the next level. Amen. You must have an unwavering belief. Number seven, what number am I on? Y'all know what number I'm on. Whatever, six. We must be obedient to the word in difficult times so that our faith and our lives remain intact. If you go and look, it says that, and uh, I don't have the reference here, but it was talking about the storm and how those who built their house on the rock, the winds came, the floods came, it beat on that house, and it fell not. But it went on to say that those who did the word, obeyed it, when the winds and waves came, it beat on the same, it beat on a different house, but it was the same wind, same wave, same trial, same tribulation. But that house made it through. You know why? Because they obeyed during difficult times. And listen, when you're going through a tough time, that's not the time to stop obeying God. That's, a, that's the time where you got to put up the shield of faith and knock down every doubt that the devil throws. And you say, you know what? I'm going to stand with my loins girt about with the truth. You can't let go of the word in difficult times because the word is what's going to bring you out. Here's the next one. Here's the next one. Uh, let me just put the, You can just put this down under that point. Obedience will eliminate or reduce the scars of unbelief and disobedience. See, there are scars that come when you disobey God. You can just go back and look at your credit and see that. You shouldn't have bought that car. 
You shouldn't have bought it. You, you made more money than you did, you know, for the car. But, but that, the salesman was so good. You can afford that car. He wasn't factoring in your tithes. You can afford that car. He don't know your house, no. You can afford that car. He don't know you got kids in private school. But you let him talk you into it. And then next thing you know, it's difficult to pay for it. Well, obedience will eliminate or reduce the scars of unbelief and disobedience. Now, let's go to John 15. Here's the one that I want to close on right here. Right here. John 15. Are y'all learning anything this morning? Okay, look at John 15. I'm telling you, man, if you can do this. See, I believe you can eliminate how much the devil mess with you. See, after he tempted Jesus, the Bible says, oh, he left him for a season. See, some of y'all live in season of just the devil beating you up. No, it shouldn't be like that. John 15. Here's the last one. We must be fueled with the spiritual gas of the word so that the faith engine of our hearts will get us to our next destination. I'm going to say it again. We must be fueled. You know how you go to the gas station and fuel up? You must be fueled with the spiritual gas of the word so that the faith engine of your heart will get you to your next destination. Look in John chapter 15. I'm going to give you an illustration in just a second. John 15, look at verse 7. Jesus said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, watch what happens. You will ask what you will and it will be done to you. Now, notice the criteria. He says, you must first abide in me. And then he says, that's being saved right there because some of y'all not saved, but that's okay. We're going to help you in just a minute. He says, at first, you got to abide in me. And then he went on to say, and then my words have got to abide in you. See, some people never get to the destination they desire because they don't have enough fuel of the word inside of them. See, if you were to go and sit in a medical chair and they took your blood out, the only reason they can draw blood out of you is because you got blood in you. When you're going through a difficult time in your life and the devil sticks the syringe of trouble inside of your life, if he pulls that syringe out and all he hears is, is anxiety and worry and fretfulness and, 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 and all that, listen, he's just going to keep drawing. But if he sticks that needle in the syringe of your life and the vein, your spiritual veins and he starts pulling and all he sees is I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And then he keeps pulling because maybe he thought that, well, maybe that was just a hoax right there. And then he kept pulling. He said, oh, my goodness. God always causes me to triumph in Christ Jesus. And then he pulls that syringe. And you say, oh, if God is for me, who can be against me? I mean, listen, it's going to be a point that he's going to stop pulling and you're going to start receiving. Faith comes by hearing. And hearing what? A lot of us in this room only hear it once a day. I mean, once a month or once a week. If you only hear the word once a week and you're hearing your problems and your thinking seven days a week, it's going to be hard to walk by faith. So here's the test as I close. Years ago, everybody say years ago. Years ago, I had a young lady in my office uh, and uh, she, was, she wanted to get pregnant. Her and her husband wanted to get pregnant and they were sitting there and I was talking to them. And... Uh, uh, they, they explained, hey, we've been doing this, and we've been doing this, and doing this, and this. And, uh, and this is when I was at another church. Too, another church. So, so as they were talking, I was like, hmm. So I said, i tell you what. Because, see, I know 
Before Mary got pregnant with Jesus, she had to get pregnant with the word. That's why when the angel came to her, it wasn't until she said, I receive it, then when it happened. So I asked, I said, give me, I said, what's your name? She said, Mary, I'm making up a name. I said, where you live? She told me. I said, what's your husband's name? She told me. I said, what's your phone number? She told me. I said, what, where you work? She told me. And then I said, now give me five scriptures on getting pregnant right there, right now. Give me five scriptures. She couldn't do it. She was bankrupt. Even though she had a desire, she didn't have enough word in her heart to produce the faith to get what she wanted. So here's my question for you. You believe in God for something, whether it's coming out of a storm or whatever it is. But do you have enough word inside of your spiritual heart for God to produce the faith in your life to get you out? And that's why a lot of people stay in storms longer than what they should have because they have no word in their life to get them out. Listen, no word, no faith. Little word, little faith. Big word, big faith. Great word. Hallelujah. Give the Lord a hand if you would this morning. Every head bowed and every eye closed, you may be here this morning. You've never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior.